Welcome to Toffee Talk, the podcast for TheMediaByUs.com. Joining me are TJ. Hello. Brent. Howdy. Chris. Hey. And myself, David. Uh, today we're going to talk about what we've been watching, including our homework assignment, Begin Again, before getting into main topic of rewatchable movies, replayable media, and why we go back again and again. <laughs> so dumb. That's all right. I hate myself. <laughs> I liked it. You would. Um, all right. First, we'll start off with what we've all been watching, which is the homework assignment, uh, Begin Again. Uh, this was TJ's assignment. It was. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I don't know. I was talking with Chris earlier in the week about who likes rom-coms the most out of this group, or the least. My only throw into that conversation was it's definitely not me. <laughs> I don't know. I know Brent's a fan and David can be. Yeah, this is uh, John Carney, who uh, is a director. He, uh, Sing Street, right? Sing Street and Once. Once. Mm-hmm. This, right. this is the in-between movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. The big budget movie. Was it? Yeah, I think it's like I guess, I guess out of the three. It was made for like $8 million instead of like $100,000. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. Not really a struggling singer. I mean, I guess she is, but she's she's built up. Yeah, I mean, I think her important conflict is just like how overshadowed she is or feels from the douchebag Adam Levine character. How do y'all feel about Adam Levine in the movie, like as an actor? I, uh, I thought well, like he, he's basically tasked to be Adam Levine, yeah, like specifically from Maroon 5. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. I thought he did a good job of, a, you know, a job that was not difficult for him. But kudos for him for kind of, you know, being the unlikable guy with the yeah, yeah. selling out music. It's an easy comparison to point to to real life. Maybe he thinks he's a great actor because he's like, oh, this scenario is ridiculous. No one will, no one would ever buy me as an unlikable singer. He so. just looks in the mirror. leaves people behind just for fame. You know, that's not how it will be at all. He looks in the mirror and says, Levine, you've done it again. <laughs> I think it would have been better cast as Sam Levine, Little Wolverine. <laughs> that, that would have been stretched. <laughs> but I really loved the movie. I thought it was super charming. I was a sucker for all the music, too. Yeah. It starts out, for me, kind of, it's very stereotypical and tropey about, like, real music versus A&R guys to want to, like, mess with your shit and yeah. compromise you. But I think in that shell of, kind of, stereotypes, I think it puts in some real character stuff that's pretty interesting. I liked it. Don't know that I loved it, but I liked it a lot. It was uh, very enjoyable. It was light and uh, a very pleasant watch. Sure. I liked the music. It was good. Yeah, I can't... If, if the movie gets better or is the best at its last ten minutes, then I can't really speak to its quality because I watched 90% of the movie. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I, I watched basically up until they have the party scene where James Corden has the, what is it? What's the scene? What's the the game called? Try uh, Not to Dance. Try Not to Dance. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great scene. Yeah, it's really fun. That song's really good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you missed a whole lot in the last ten minutes. It ends kind of like you would think it would. Yeah, because yeah. they, they have the album release. Mm-hmm. Before, yeah, that's the album release kind of party that mm-hmm. they're doing. Um, but other than that, you know, I thought it was, it was probably in the same boat as Brent. It was, it was you know, it, it was popcorn. Um, yeah, it was it was nice, and I thought it was a little bit of a Hollywood fairy tale. But I guess TJ and I were talking about. It, and he said that's all that this guy really makes. Sing Street was kind of a Hollywood fairy tale, you know. Just the idea that I mean, I guess never mind. It's, it's not the idea that she's nobody because she's not nobody. She's right. like the high profile girlfriend who already like writes songs for Adam Levine, and Adam Levine is like very 
upfront about how she's like a writing credit and then mm-hmm. like surprise she makes it big when Mark Ruffalo hits the skids yeah. even if the album doesn't do well like she wrote the song Lost Lost Stars yeah, yeah. that's gonna be on this like major uh, major studio release album yeah right yeah like not, not a bad fallback song got nominated for uh, Oscar it did hmm. yeah how did you feel about Keira Knightley in that movie? The same way I feel about Keira Knightley in every movie. So alternating bad and great. Yeah, and just like kind of how I felt. Like she's adorable, and she's not a bad actress, so it's fine. Kind of. Yeah. I think she she plays like unassuming and kind of stepped on well because at the same point she's like everybody forgets about her. She's like a beautiful English actress, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. She does play that that role well, though. It's interesting. Like, Love Actually popped into my head when you mm-hmm. said that. I thought of that movie dirt while watching yeah. Begin Again. Yeah. Where she plays, like, the most naive yeah. character. When they're ever. watching when they're watching the uh, the wedding uh, video that Andrew Lincoln shoots, and how long it takes her to, like, finally realize that he's only recording her, she's sitting there, she's like, I look very pretty. <laughs> yeah. She keeps looking back, like, this is great. Yeah. yeah. At one point, she looks back, and she's like, they're all of me. It's like... <laughs> Come on, let's go. You're, you're getting there, kids. They just needed the music to swell appropriately, right? For me, that's one of the shittiest storylines. I'm sorry, uh, we can edit that out. Uh, <laughs> we get, that's one of the worst storylines in uh, in that movie. Can we have a chalkboard it's, that's, that's it's, like first swear? Because this is going to be Brent's only tick mark. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is like everybody's swear totals. <laughs> it's going to be like TJ 100, David like 95, Chris 117, <laughs> and Brent's going to have. A half of one. Yeah, that one. Because <laughs> yeah, I told you to edit it out. Yeah, and it's just going to be teased. <laughs> I'm going to edit it in. <laughs> Can you fucking edit it out? <laughs> You're making, making your job more difficult. <laughs> um, it's interesting, though. Um, in the run-up to Sing Street, actually, kind of a, a tie-in from what you said last week, um, John Carney had like a bunch of interviews where he said he's never going to work with supermodels again mm-hmm. and really... Put down Kira Knightley. Yeah. Oh, wow. Not just one interview, like a series of interviews before finally right. walking it back. Yeah. Yeah. And he didn't really walk it back all the way either. He just said, like, I wasn't necessarily talking about Kira Knightley. Yeah. I love that guy's Who movie. Who talking about? Kind of an asshole move. Yeah. I thought yeah. she was pretty good in it. And kind of just slamming, like, the big star that got the movie made. Got your budget to $8 yeah. million, where it was, like, $100,000. Yeah, because you worked with her and Ruffalo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought uh, Haley Steinfeld was great in it as the daughter. Yeah. Yeah. She's, She's pretty good in everything. Yeah. And it's easy for the, uh, you know, divorced couple, teenage daughter to be... Like put the rebellion meter on high. Yeah, just like the sarcasm meter. I thought she was kind of charming. Yeah, mm-hmm. James Corden, really fun in that movie too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. expecting him to do much because he's kind of like a <clears throat> English smarmer. Yeah, yeah. At least I mean he was basically playing James Corden. Like now that we've seen him do his talk show and whatnot, yeah. he. I like that we've like slowly come to the realization that this movie is just actors playing themselves. Yeah, <laughs> but that works sometimes. I, I hope, mean, it's, yeah, it's the entire career of Paul Rudd, and that's worked. <laughs> so. I hope that is actually Mark Ruffalo because <laughs> I kind of did like his character. <laughs> he's also a stereotype, but I just yeah. love the scene early on where he's in the. Uh, He's in the car, and I wrote down some of the stuff where he's like listening to them and throwing the discs out the window, like the prospective artist. It's like, no, 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 uh, and just those like, songs yelling, were you can't. Yeah, and he was like, all right, I like it, I like it, and he throws it. it was until you started singing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had a really idiot moment when the credits rolled through. I was like, oh, yes, in Bay. Like, I know that name. And like, most deaf was on the screen. I was like, huh, most deaf's in this too. <laughs> That's right. 
It's his twin brother. What do you guys think of the uh, kind of the little flourish of Ruffalo picturing the accompaniment when she's singing at the at the thing? A little cheesy. It's a little like cutesy, little little tweet, mm. but it was. I think it was a nice effect. I like that they only did it once. I guess you don't see what the rest of the yeah songs are. It doesn't really come back at all. I don't know. I guess as it may have been like more of a musician vibe. Not that I'm like a professional musician or anything, mm-hmm. but like where it's kind of like, come on, give me a break. Like that. It seems like it was so formulaic. Like first the drums, now the keys. Like I see it being put together. It's yeah. like, oh my god, shoot me. It's a little corny. Yeah, uh, I really like the going around to different spots. In the city, that aspect of that was cool. The movie. That was really cool. Although I thought it hit like the ultimate corny meter when he was like, "Hey kids, like buzz off! Like I'll give you a cigarette each. Can you sing?" And it's like, <laughs> yeah. "Of course they can, right?" Because they like, sing like angels. It's <laughs> like little kickball group in the alley. Perfect timing. Ball, like what? What actually are they? They're just like hitting a can with a stick. Yeah, I could like, like, stick a can. <laughs> like, <laughs> like nineteen ten New York <laughs> Street types. I was gonna say like like Doug Funny back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> his famous band I like that he finds these kids who have like <laughs> angelic voices and his first his form of payment is cigarettes yeah <laughs> and we want a box of cigarettes alright one for each of you to smoke <laughs> what do you care what they do with it I also uh, noticed an interesting parallel for myself but I got a vibe of La La Land how the beginning was kind of formatted yeah there's no uh, interstate <clears throat> scene but you get a scene where it's just like two the two main characters are into it and then you back up to see how each of them got to it. Oh, right. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, cool. La La Land in the, you know, Christmas uh, restaurant jazz scene. Yeah. How you kind of back up to both of them after that. Right. It's La La Land ripped it off. So that's what you're saying? You're going on the record? Basically. La La Land ripped it off. Basically. Testing, testing. So, to kind of transition into what we've been watching outside of Begin Again, oh. I had a weird Bader Meinhof moment. Where before, so I started, the, I started Begin Again, and then I stopped watching it, and then I kind of finished it later on in the week, but in between... So, well, just so I'm clear, you began, began again, and then you stopped, and you began again, began again. Well, I never began, begin again from You resumed again. again. You, yeah. Yeah. You watch, okay. So, um, but... I hate y'all so much. <laughs> the, uh, I've been watching a lot, I don't know why, it's just, just been, like, plaguing me, but I've been watching a lot of Gordon Ramsay and Alton Brown. I think because they just moved to a place that's near a farmer's market. So I've got this, like, <laughs> you know, terroristic idea in my head that I can cook. <laughs> Start walking to your house and yelling at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um... This, microwave, this, this microwave pizza is shit. <laughs> <laughs> but then you explain scientifically why it's shit. Because Alton Brown. <laughs> right. But the, uh, I was so, like, no, I don't. <laughs> so there is, so, so uh, Gordon Ramsay has a show called Hotel Hell after the success of uh, Kitchen Nightmares and whatever it was called in the UK. I think it's still Kitchen Nightmares too. Anyway. But, uh, Kitchen he, Hullabaloo. But so when he was on the James Corden show, I guess in the last <laughs> couple weeks, which is not called the James Corden show, they do an episode of Hotel Hell, like a fake, like a parody of it. Uh-huh. And he goes into like the, the, the Airbnb, like the bedroom of it. And James Corden just has a stack of DVDs, and he's going through it, and he's like, begin again, begin again. All these movies are begin again. Has he not been in any other movies? <laughs> <laughs> and then I went home and finished Begin Again. But I've been watching a lot of Gordon Ramsay stuff. Sorry to transition so smoothly. Take us out of our rotation. Sorry to be awesome. <laughs> Sorry to blow your mind. Didn't mean I was killing it. 
We can transition unless anyone's got anything to say about Begin Again. Uh, I would recommend people watch it. Yeah, maybe maybe love is is too much for me. I just really enjoy. It's just movies, just like a good hang. Yep, you can love it, David. No one's going to judge you. But love is such a commitment. I feel like Chris (laughs) is going to judge you, no matter what you say. (laughs) Well, from the Begin Again, uh, Abbott and Costello (laughs) routine you guys had. (laughs) The song was originally supposed to be "Can a Song Save Your Life." I think it's a more interesting title. Oh, can a song? I thought you said Kennesaw Save Your Life. I was like, that's weird. <laughs> Definitely a more interesting title. Huh. That's interesting. That, that feels more, that feels also cheesy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Begin Again does feel, though, a little bit like a studio guy came in and yeah. said, why don't we call it this? I was really hoping that someone... Like, it seems like a Nancy Meyer movie. All of them are like a little phrase, like, something's gotta give, or... Doing something with that thing. Again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that. <laughs> doing something with that thing again. Well, there's no actual. Sorry, Owen title. Wilson, <laughs> Diane Keaton. <laughs> Gotta get it, get it. Well, Alex Baldwin. Good. <laughs> Did you have a stroke? <laughs> no, I had coffee. All right. I was really hoping that at some point, like, you know, double finger snaps into finger guns would say, like, we need to. Begin again. <laughs> I love looking for like those moments in movies where they like say the title because sometimes it feels super on the nose. You know, a production man was on the side being like, "Say the title, say the title." Especially if like a title changes and they kind of try to like back their way into yeah. the, the title. Yeah, like, <laughs> how stupid. <laughs> That's what we're all about. Man. My my example was going to be Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, but it makes complete sense for her to open the door and go, "Welcome to Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children." I am Miss Peregrine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the bad ones would be like like Superman Four, the Quest for Hope, or whatever. That would be weird. <laughs> so you're telling me this is a Quest for Hope <laughs> for <laughs> Superman? <laughs> Can we not not talk about the multiplicity reality where there are multiple supermen again? The Superman theorem. (laughs) Well, if you want to kick it off, I think uh, that ends it. You want to start with what you've been watching and playing? Yeah, I'll I'll end my my, my cookery uh, obsession by just saying that Gordon Ramsay, back in 2011, recorded this four-episode show that originally aired on BBC4. Um, That is really neat. I was talking to TJ about it. BBC Four, the Quest for <laughs> It's called Gordon Behind Bars, which is the double entendre that's stupid. Um, yeah. But it's uh, he goes to a prison in his neighborhood and wants to open up a program. I guess in the UK, prisoners don't have like labor, um, so they just don't do anything if, unless it's like you know laundry or um, you know like cooking the meals. But they don't have like you know they don't bang out license plates. Or, like, you know, break up rocks for gravel. So he, like, opens a bakery and teaches them how to be chefs to make a commercial kitchen to sell a product to help inmates learn the skill, put money back in the prison, put money in their pockets and commissary. They can, like, keep training these chefs. And it's really touching. It's four episodes. Um, it's really more about Gordon Ramsay running up against the red tape. Um, hmm. huh. Sounds good. Yeah. And some of the chefs... Well, the crazy thing, so the program's still going on. Stupid name. Is Bad Boy Bakery. But then they make the double entendre is they make these little lemon they tart bars. <laughs> they make lemon tart bars, so Gordon behind bars. Anyway, oh. um, I thought they made them for Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. <laughs> um, Gordon behind bars. But the crazy out of <laughs> out of that Brixton prison, the normal recidivist rate is forty percent. But of inmates who've been in the bakery program, it's three percent. Wow. Um, Believe it. Yeah. It's a good job. Easy jobs for 
yeah. for inmates to get when they're released. Yeah, and it's a few a good skill for them to learn. And a few mm-hmm. of the chefs from the program have gone on to work in Gordon Ramsay's kitchens. I totally believe cool. that too. Yeah. I think there's one at like Savoy and one at uh, Roast, which are like big London yeah. restaurants. Neat. But yeah, watch that. What else? Um, but as far as movies, because we're kind of in the Oscar crunch now, so that's what I focused on. Um, watched uh, Hacksaw Ridge. Hacksaw. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have seen it. I Brent, saw it. Brent I saw it this week. Not, I have not. David, you saw it? I still like to think it's about an action hero named Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> I keep pointing people out that look kind of like Andrew Garfield asking Chris if they're Hacksaw Ridge. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't know. I, I wanted it to be better. My question is, Is every does every Mel Gibson movie have to be about Jesus? I know. Not about religion, but like a character who is a Jesus figure. Well... Apparently this movie has been trying to be made for like 14 years. Mm-hmm. Like this, the, the biography he got was like optioned off in 2002 of this guy when he was still alive. And it wasn't until like he died that it was reinvigorated that his like kids sold it in 2009. And then no one would pick up the script for whatever reason. And then the, so this is like... I think that Desmond Doss, he was too humble. He didn't think a movie should be made about his life. Right. Which... Actual guy seems pretty cool. Yeah, actual guy seems great. But like, story's it, good. Oh yeah, I love the premise, but it it turns into very quickly a really trite war movie. And the intro is pretty insufferable. Yeah, and until the, you get to the bridge. And the intro, it's like an hour and a half before you get to the ridge. Yeah, you it gotta get to so, the bridge faster. I mean, how many times do you have to hear Andrew Garfield go, "I won't touch a gun"? <laughs> like that's pretty good. Like, he just he, like he, I mean, I'm it's, it's weird. I had a friend who. Watches a ton of movies more than we do. Say it was awful. Yeah. And then we had two friends who like notoriously hate way more movies than anybody should, and they both said it was awful. No, Chris has said it was bad. Yeah. I like just, I will. I'm curious for your eventual contrarian opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious as to what I think about it. I like, do I'm think kind of me and Brett were talking like I'm kind of scared. I'll love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> like oh no, what if it's my favorite movie? Hey. Keep that inside you, TJ. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just it just it would. War scenes are well done, though. War scenes are well done. The great direction. It's like a really like small plane uh-huh. that, that it, it takes place. I think Mel Gibson does a great job with. He's he's a great with that uh, war action director. I mean, Braveheart, Patriot, probably more that I don't remember. What wouldn't want <laughs> the woodchuck? Apocalypto. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was great. Did he direct uh, We Were Soldiers? Uh, I don't think so. I think he's, he was just in it. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's only directed like do, five or six. He's got. Did you notice that he's got that cameo at the very beginning? No. So this it's not a spoiler. Is he like on the side? He's just like hey, yeah. it's the guy with a beard. Kind of. Actually, kind of. <laughs> nice. So like the movie opens with Andrew Garfield being pulled off the ridge on a, on a stretcher, and there's a soldier who bright blue eyes and gleaming white teeth lean over top of him and say like You're gonna be okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's Mel Gibson. Nice. Because it's not any of the other characters in the movie. Um, you know, Vince Vaughn is kind of insufferable throughout the movie, but is is funny as a drill sergeant. But then after that part, he's got some good lines. What if it's just sergeant. Mel Gibson actually telling Andrew Garfield, "Yeah, he survived making a movie with Mel Gibson. <laughs> You're gonna be okay." Or maybe he's telling the viewer that. Yeah, it's gonna be okay. It gets exciting later. <laughs> we'll be back here in 45 minutes. Blood, blood, blood. <laughs> I mean, that has to be why they like they have that scene in the beginning. To be like, yeah. they, to, like, trust me, viewers, we do get to the ridge. 
you have to sit through an hour and a half of the most pointless love story. Yeah, I mean, that, that would suck if the movie was called Hacksaw Ridge and it just, like, began and ended in Kansas. But then <laughs> but then Andrew Garfield meets Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, true. <laughs> then Hacksaw Ridge goes off to fight. The picture Hacksaw Ridge is how he, like, the X of, like, ammo. <laughs> like, just a vest. With no gun. Yeah. <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge can only be played by Stone Cold Steve Austin. He just, he just throws bullets real hard. <laughs> I can't touch a gun. Doesn't mean I can't use the bullets. Well, touch a gun. Hacksaw Ridge. That's <laughs> <laughs> <Let's throw. laughs> um, It's like a... That's, that's, that's got total, like, DC's pick for a movie <laughs> written all over it. In Iron Man 3, we've got... So <laughs> um, but that's I, I've watched more movies but that was the one I wanted to talk about just because I don't know it's, it's much easier for me if you can't tell to talk about things I don't like um, without saying super there's that and then there's a big chunk of garbage TV that I watch um, a lot including Top Chef and Are You The One I'm excited that in the next 13 weeks I'm going to get to watch The Challenge um, and for those those of you who didn't know, the Road Rules Real World Challenge has turned into just challenge. Is that what that is? Basically. It's what it evolved into. I know it is. With the bumbling host TJ Lavin, who, uh, you know. Of Torque fam. <laughs> the, you know, who they should have replaced a long time ago. Uh, you know, ex-BMX rider who got a concussion and now his speech just doesn't really come out right. And he, people, he's just... He's just so bad at it. He can't read to save his life. And so he'll show up and be like, alright everybody, welcome to the bloodlines. <laughs> <laughs> he is good about uh, constantly having a tick where he puts his fist in his hand. Kind of like Bob Dole pencil style. He just like, while he's talking. Yeah. And he hate, he comes across well how much he hates quitters. Yeah. But only by, by, by repeating... You know how much I hate quitters. (laughs) There's just reputation at this point. Like he's actually softened on quitters. (laughs) But he's got to be hard on quitters to get reelected. And the format this year is like losers versus champions. Yeah. Like anyone who's won before is not in the intro thing. Mm -hmm. They got to earn their way into the house. All the same time, there's like oh champ cam. This is what's happening. They're training at the gym. They're doing P90X. Sorry, I want to interrupt you because you didn't use champ camp. Oh yeah, that's the champ camp. He's yeah. the champ camp. Um, but it's I don't know. It, that show is just stupid fun, and it's more than just like the real world stuff. Where it's like I wonder what drama they get into today. I think some of the challenges are like pretty gnarly, especially you know them forecasting the big mountain man uh, CT coming back when they just like show like some of the stuff he's done. Where like he is, he's like got to be two hundred fifty pounds of like muscle, where he's just like running full speed at another human being, and they just like fly off like you were flicking a crumb off your shirt. They turn into coins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the show. I've been watching and I'm yeah. excited. It's, it's kind of like last real world season in uh, Seattle was pretty disappointing, I thought. Yeah. And the Are You The One season this week, this is full on MTV pod, by the way. <laughs> yeah, like me and Bernard are just like, yep, I'm just listening. <laughs> Are You The One has been pretty disappointing so far. Nothing really that interesting for have, me. Yeah. Have you seen the, the probability tables? Yeah, I, li- I like keeping up with that. What? <laughs> Do you know the conceit to Are You The One, Brent? No. Uh, no. So it is a show It's like where... a Shania Twain song. It is. is it a Shania Twain song? When I heard about the format, I thought this could be the coolest show. Yeah. I thought it was another one of those Owen Wilson, uh, <laughs> Diane Keaton movies. <laughs> yeah. Someone's gonna find the one. Are you the one? Yeah. <laughs> Look at this old lady in a hot tub. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Co-starring John Krasinski. <laughs>
so there are normally 10, but sometimes 11 pairs of people who have taken personality and matchmaking tests or whatever, and they've interviewed their families. And they have a perfect match on the show. Mm-hmm. And they, receiving like kind of, you know, sprinkled out clues, um, have to line up with their perfect match before the end of 10 weeks. Yeah. That's an interesting concept. And if they get it right, they win a million dollars. If they ever have a night where none of them are matched up perfectly, then the prize money gets cut in half. Oh, wow. Uh, for each couple that's matched up, they tell them how many matches are right, but not who is right. And once per episode, the house gets an opportunity to send a pair to the truth booth, <laughs> where where <laughs> love lasers scan them. Love and lasers? Lasers they don't, they don't call them love lasers, but they do this. These well, really that's the problem with the show. <laughs> they don't call them love lasers. I mean, la- lasers know best. about love. <laughs> yeah. And so they like scan, like scan them and, you know, it shows them if they're a true match or not. In, in like its essence, it's a logic puzzle, right? Because yeah. you have the clues you can get every week. You can find out who's not a match. At the end of it, you know how many people are a match out of the you know eleven you put up. Yeah, and you have successive weeks to figure it out. Right, and normally on these seasons, we're in the fifth week now. Mm-hmm. Normally, there's someone who sits down and goes, "All right, I figured this out. These are the people who should sit together, and if we get more lights, then I was right about it." But there's nobody doing that. Yeah, or if I'm wrong, we at least know that we've ruled out this person and we know it's the other right. know, gal or guy. But there's like like three couples who are like, we don't care that we're not a match. We're going to stay and we're going to keep like having sex. And in, just like, do in, not care. In the boom boom room. In the boom boom room, which is... <laughs> is that a real name? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, God. The quest for peace. <laughs> so, <laughs> so but that, that's a peaceful request. Previous seasons have been great for that. I think this... You know, Ari the One shouldn't be the best show on television. <laughs> That's the potential for it. And also, Ryan Devlin, the host of that, is just like... He is so, awful. Do they pick, like, are they all similar people, at least? Because it would be pretty obvious if, like, <laughs> like, hey, we're meth head foot fetish people. <laughs> hey, there's another meth head foot fetish person. I feel like we should be a match. Uh, uh, uh. Well, they go through it. Sometimes opposites attract. <laughs> you got to find who's not. Jeez, uh, I fall out of the car. No, I mean they're all the same kind of. A foot fetish person and a clown. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I found the match. The clown's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but it's just they're all like from twenty-one to twenty-four years old, yeah. and like you know, piece of shit people. So. <laughs> yeah, the person, the, the guys who are like. Well, no, normally when I'm at home, you know, love them and leave them. And it's like, well, you could try that here, but you've got 11 weeks where you're stuck with these people. And there's one guy who's just burning bridges. Yeah. Just, like, calling girls, like, crazy and calling them, like, like unattractive, like, in front of everybody and the host. And he's just, you never find your match, bro. Never going to be true love. But, I don't know. It seems like, the, I don't know if it's, if it's the people on that show or if it's MTV doing dastardly things. But do you get the feeling that that show... Just, like, matches, like, oh, like, black woman with black man. Sometimes. Um, yeah, like, like, people that wouldn't you wouldn't really think would be a match person. Their personalities are, don't match at all, but they're like, well, we've got, you know, there are si- you know, there's, there's six black people here. And MTV and their personality, or maybe the interviews they gave. Maybe it's, like, actually, like, how their system works. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I feel like they pair all of the black women with all the black men. Yeah, I think last year they had some interracial perfect matches. Yeah. But it does seem interesting. I feel like this whole concept works better as an SNL sketch. <laughs> Where, like, two juggalos show up. 
That's, that's, that's what I want. I would watch 11 weeks of Juggalos not show, dating each like, other and trying to figure out which one's their... Uh, can we mail this to ourselves, this podcast, <laughs> and then write a spec skit for, for SNL? Like, guys, SNL, you need to get on this hot, new hotness. Are you the one yeah. season five? <laughs> we've, got, we've got a sketch for you. Anyway, I've taken up too much time talking about my boring BS. Never which, enough time. Which, we're a half an hour in, and if anyone's paying attention, I haven't sworn yet. The rest of you have. <laughs> nice. I'm on my best behavior. Even Brent. Yeah, <laughs> twice. But, anyway, we can move on. David, do you want to take the reins next? Sure. Tell us what you've been watching. I watched a bunch of stuff. Um, I'll kind of, there's some of them I don't have a ton to say. I saw, um, let's see, as far as some Oscar movies, I saw Hidden Figures. Um, it's, it's a crowd pleaser. It's kind of right up my alley in terms of, you know, engineering and, uh, NASA and I like the three female stories. They all have their own kind of arc, which is pretty rare for a big hundred yep. million dollar big budget thing. The three female characters will all have their own kind of star story that they're driving. And plus, uh, I was very excited to for a reason to hate Jim Parsons in that movie. <laughs> I hate him already. It was pretty satisfying. The movie didn't have to get me to do a lot of work to say this guy's pretty despicable. <laughs> what? Why do you hate him? I just. I just really dislike... It's like an Eddie Redmayne thing for me. It's, uh, I just dislike him. <laughs> you just hate his face? Well, I don't like the Big Bang Theory. I don't either. I, I got some award stuff that bleeds into real life. Like, he won four Emmys for playing a uh, fake nerd. And yeah. being, like, a real nerd. Like, a really a easy school. role to play. Yeah. For, like, the three episodes of Big Bang Theory. It's like, oh, be weird. Yeah, and he's, like... like be like, over-the-top weird. And be, like, just a, just a very paper-thin caricature. Yeah, yeah be even yeah. keel, talk fast, and like stare at people. Yeah. yeah, and don't worry, Simon Helberg and Florence Foster Jenkins, which I think TJ is going to talk about. Uh, but Simon Helberg is playing another caricature, also someone from Big Bang Theory, and he's probably the worst part of that movie, in my opinion. Yeah, but anyway, not to derail again. Yeah. That's all I got to say. I liked Hidden <laughs> Figures. It's not, it's not really high art to me, but right. I liked it a lot. Um, I saw um, I saw Moonlight. I also saw Moonlight. Oh, finally! <laughs> I didn't see Moonlight. <laughs> it was uh, it was I'm lifted off my shoulders. Y'all seen this movie? It was as incredible. You're as actually advertised. rubbing your stomach. I just ate a delicious meal of other people watching. I've been waiting for like a month for people to watch this damn movie. You're watching is scrumptious. <laughs> so so yeah, what do you think? It was incredible. Like uh, not to sound highfalutin or like a douchebag about it, but it, the movie feels like poetry. <laughs> like it's not doesn't feel like narrative. Yeah. I thought it was, it was really, really good. What do you think, Brent? Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was extremely well acted. A beautiful movie to watch. Like, like just the the cinematography and the shots and the and this and that were were. It was it was really pretty. Right. So yeah. Uh, what about the story? Did you like the story there? How did you feel about that? I liked the story. It. Uh, I don't know. It felt much more like a mood movie to me than yeah. a story movie. It's conveying yeah. tone through. You know, telling it, more than actual narrative. It does. A, it does an excellent job of making you feel what the characters are feeling, without really telling much of a story to me. But then again, I just watched it last night. It's the kind of movie I kind of want to let it settle for, for sure. a few days and see how I feel about it. Uh, I do think it's hard to argue with Ali being incredible. Yeah, and, yeah, he's and awesome. Naomi Harris was amazing, and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. as the mom. I thought the the middle actor playing uh, the Chiron was also fantastic. Yeah, all three of them were great. Yeah, the older one was great. I mean, he had like yeah. no dialogue. 
It's yeah, all and he, like, he felt exactly like you understood what he was going through without him saying a word. And his very internal performances, like it's all tension and mm-hmm. like suppression and stuff. I really, really liked it. And also, I think a lot of it that I liked about it was not knowing anything. Like I knew there was a black child in the movie when I went and saw it. And, like I saw the poster and I was like, okay. Yeah. We'll do this. Delivered. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want to say a whole lot until Chris gets it. All right, I saw some uh, smaller movies after that. Oh, I also saw Lovin'. Ooh. Ooh. With uh, Ruth. <laughs> I want to see it. Is it all right? I do. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> I thought it was like the reverse <laughs> Pee Wee Herman thing. I said the one thing that forces me out of the podcast. <laughs> Just torch out. Yeah, I, I I won't say too much about it since you guys haven't. Yeah, seen it. well, I know it. what happens. Well, yeah, but yeah, fall in loving. <laughs> in terms of how he does it, just Virginia, going with the expectation that it's it's a very quiet movie, it doesn't focus on big scenes, right. but you know also conveys the mood and everything very yeah. well. It's not really focused on big court scenes and like yeah. shouting. I don't think anyone shouts at any point. Maybe oh, never mind this. You know, if you go into movies for shouting, watch uh, Hacksaw Ridge instead. (laughs) Watch Vince Vaughn just give it his all. (laughs) Which is not very much. Uh, I saw A Bigger Splash. It's kind of a a smaller movie. It's a movie with uh, Ray Fiennes and Tilda Swinton, where uh, Tilda Swinton's like a David Bowie rock star, goes out to an Italian villa, and her producer friend Ray Fiennes comes to visit and kind of upsets the balance. It's a small movie. It's on... um, Amazon Prime or HBO right now. Mm-hmm. It is. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Ray Fiennes. I think we were talking about how we enjoy him in like that hotel movie, <laughs> Grand Budapest Hotel, yeah. <laughs> and um, we liked him in Hail Caesar. But he's always kind of like stuffy or playing stuffy. He is completely unstuffed in this movie. Nice. He, he goes like under unstuffed. <laughs> the quest for peace. <laughs> he does not comically stammer at one point in this movie. He is like. Full out talks a mile a minute is all physical. Is like raw energy guy. In Bruges type, Ray Fines. Kind of, yeah. Fun. But he's like got this like charm, overbearing charm to him, and he has a dance scene to Rolling Stones' "Emotional Rescue" that is like a five minute scene. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's really good, and I won't give it away, but it, it's kind of a small movie that kind of <clears throat> goes off in another direction later on. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, and uh, last thing I saw. Uh, you guys heard of Under the Shadow? No. It's a Iranian movie. The Shadow? <laughs> the Shadow. <laughs> sequel to The Shadow. It's basically like an Iranian uh, Babadook movie. Okay. It's wow. like kind of a, uh, a ghost story set in 1980s Iran mm-hmm. during the, the war with Iraq. So it's kind of an interesting context for like a small ghost movie in a house mm-hmm. and kind of like emotional horror movie. Like huh. You don't know what's psychological, what's real. It's really cool. Nice. Just the phrase Iranian Babadook scares the hell out of me. <laughs> that, <laughs> like that's, that, that used to alone. be my used to be my Twitter handle. <laughs> Iranian Babadook. <laughs> nice. I'll I'll do uh, two other quick things. Steven Universe. I I got your recommendation. Yes. I really enjoy it. It is like the most adorable show. And did yeah. you get into any of the weird plot episodes? Um, I'm trying to watch what I can uh, through cable on demand. Yeah. So they have like just spotty from yeah. the first season, like three episodes from the second one. Yeah, 
I haven't gotten into too much of it. I did get some of the backstory. Yeah. It, it is, as you said, it's kind of like interspersed here and there, like little asides. Yeah, and I think it was, it was like Variety or Salon who like pulled out an episode because, you know, three of the main characters are like anthropomorphic embodiments of gems. Mm-hmm. And like they can get stronger if gems fuse with each other. Uh-huh. And they're like, they called out this episode because they're, they said that Steven Universe is doing a great job in that like, there's an episode about consent, and it's not clear at all to, like, the kid. And it's just a no-nonsense way, like, you know, like, you can't, like, fusions between gems who aren't, who, who don't want to fuse are bad. But fusions between two gems who are become stronger together. And, I don't know, it's just a really clever little show. Huh. Um, and they're, like, 13-minute parts for an episode. They do the the split, like, Adventure Time, where it's a 13-minute mm-hmm. episode, then another 13-minute episode. Okay. Great music. So, like, yeah. A lot of, like, they're singing songs in the middle of it. It's just, it's like, well-written. Re- Rebecca Sugar, I think. Yeah. She yeah. did, like, some of the best songs from Adventure Time while mm-hmm. she was there. Neat. And uh, just last little thing, I'll kind of do a uh, podcast I've been listening to. I don't know if that's eligible. On this yeah. Thing. Nope. Cut it. Uh, it's related to movies. <laughs> nope. Cut it's it. It's a podcast called Song Exploder. You guys uh, listen to it or heard of it? I've heard of it. I think you told me about it. They kind of uh, break apart songs from movies, uh, you know, just artists, TV shows, video games, and goes into like how they were made, why they were made. They did a uh, they did a series with uh, with Vulture dot com mm-hmm. about going through some movie scores and movie songs that are nominated or in in the uh, in the running this year. And they did a great episode recently about uh, Moonlight, Nicholas Bertel's score. Nice. Which I think is my favorite score of the year. It's really good. Of those. You know, there's the Chopped and Screwed songs in there, like the Houston remix where they slow it down. Like, they have a simple piano and violin that they actually, the classical score, they chop and screw throughout the the rest of the thing to detune it as it's going on. So it's normal piano and violins and the, you know, the little theme. And then the next segment, they chop and screw it down, which down pitches it with the same speed. And the next one... They keep doing that, kind of like a hip hop remix of a of a classical score. Kind of interesting. Huh. I'm gonna go through mine real quick. I watched five movies this week. Uh, has anybody seen not seen The Lobster? I haven't seen The Lobster. Okay, I recommend The Lobster. It is one of the weirdest movies I've seen in the past decade. I don't want to talk about it too much until Chris sees it, then we can talk about it a little more. But it's it's good and bizarre. I watched Thirteen Hours. The Man, Soldiers of Benghazi. That is, is rough. It is garbage. I just... I was thinking I was telling you about 13 Hours, that if there was somebody... Because there's a story to tell there. If there's somebody to tell it, why is it Michael Bay? Like, <laughs> it should not, should not have been Michael Bay. Yeah. The Right when Jack Krasinski gets to uh, Libya, Benghazi, David Dimon is like one of the Navy SEALs that's already there. And he, he walks in and he literally says like, Welcome to Club Med. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. So I like throw the TV out the window. Yeah. It was just, it was a, it was a an awful movie. <laughs> it was not good at all. And I watched another awful movie, Jack Reacher 2. <laughs> the Reach Around. Yeah, The Reach Around. Reach for the Sky. <laughs> it was, uh, it was really bad. The first one was so good, so entertaining. The second one was awful. Uh, Colby Smolders and Tom Cruise. And, and it was, it was really bad. Uh, I had no interest to ever see it. Yeah, I don't, don't think watch the first one. Was good. I watched uh, Fluffo Jenks. It was adorable. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like eventually our little movie abbreviations are going to destroy Chris. <laughs> <laughs> um, Meryl Streep was really good. I realized too, knowing that Meryl Streep can sing well, 
being directed to seeing worse but not bad was probably actually really hard to do. But she does a good job with it. And Hugh Grant was fantastic. Yeah. And I think he probably skipped out on the nomination because people nominated him for lead actor or something. Hmm. I've got a theory. Yeah, he was in Golden Globes for lead. Yeah. Um, And he was... I think he came across as supporting... I think he was for consideration as supporting from the the producers. Mm -hmm. And he's got more screen time than Meryl Streep does. He's got more screen time. The plot is more centered around him. Like, he's, he's the actual, like, vehicle by which anything gets done in that movie. Yeah. He's, it's, it's Hugh Grant's the main character. He, he's, he's the only one in the movie who has conflict after Simon Helberg's, like, brief, like, one minute. Like, I don't know if I want to play piano for this woman that sings so badly. And then he's like, oh, wait, I will. You know. <laughs> 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 Other than that, it's just the Hugh Grant show. And, it's, and he's really good at it. And then, no, none of y'all have seen this, so I'll, I won't talk about it at all until y'all see it. But I watched Lion. Finally, this week it was very good. Nice, hmm. Brant. Uh, after the Super Bowl loss to the Patriots last Sunday, I decided to go ahead and get Twelve Years a Slave out of the way <laughs> while I was already emotionally destroyed. I figured I'm never going to be in a mood to watch this movie, so uh, it was it was really good. Why not see if you can dig your deepest depths in even deeper? Right. <laughs> uh, I also watched the Nice Guys. Which uh, David yeah, talked about yeah, last week. It. And uh, it was very enjoyable. It was a good throwback to 80s uh, buddy cop They're kind of like a Midnight Run-ish. Yeah. You know, and as I watched it, I should have I should have uh, made the connection. As I was watching it, I was thinking, this reminds me of Lethal Weapon. And then it hit me later <laughs> that the writer and director of The Nice Guys also wrote Lethal Weapon. <laughs> so, yeah. They follow a very similar plot structure, which is start with a dead body, some comedy, some action, and it's just a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. I watched uh, Rain Wilson's movie, the, uh, Super. Super Ooh. is weird. Super is weird. I haven't I, seen it yet. I'd never seen it, and it was uh, enjoyable and just really weird. It made me feel so awkward multiple, at multiple points. There are a lot of... Ellen Page is really good in that movie. She's really good. There are lots of really hard moments in that movie. <laughs> the yeah. scene in the movie line when he when he's oh, the guy yes. cuts. Yeah. God, it was awful. Yeah. And then it, it was always weird when... I've seen that movie twice and I fast forwarded or left the room the second time before Ellen Page said she felt squishy. Because I was like, this made me feel The, so the first time you watched it, someone covered your eyes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it's, it's my mommy. Mommy! <laughs> it's, it's, it's an interesting movie, yeah. to say the least. Rewatched Iron Man from 2008, the uh, the, the first Iron Man. Still and, might be uh, the, the best MCU movie. It's, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. I watched The Amazing Spider-Man, because I'm trying to see every Andrew Garfield movie except Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, you just absorb it. It's like, oh yeah, I saw that. The Amazing Spider-Man just, it, I think it, I, I both enjoyed it and it bothered me, because it was, well, it was fairly well done. It was a, a decent Spider-Man origin movie that was completely unnecessary to make. It yeah. was... Why did we need 40 minutes of origin story on Spider-Man, the superhero with the most like well-known origin story? Boring probably. origin story. And it's boring, yeah. and it's does, it never changes. <laughs> it's the same thing, like, how many times do we have to see Bruce Wayne's parents die? Like, how many times <laughs> yes. do we have to see Uncle Ben die? And not, not only that, but, like, the, like, shitty, schlocky, there we go, song from, like, the, I don't know, like, the, like the 60s. 
literally has his origin story in it. The Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man, involves him getting bit by a radioactive spider. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> his uncle died, then he cried. But yeah, they also, like, they, they, they were basically remaking... Uh, the first Spider-Man, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, but they needed to make it a little different, so they gave Martin Sheen, uh, who's a great Uncle Ben, but they gave Martin Sheen just change. It was like a, I told TJ it was like an eleventh grader knowing he was about to plagiarize, but saying, "Oh, I can't plagiarize, so let's use synonyms for all these words." <laughs> so instead of "with great power comes great responsibility," he said, "Peter." When you have the opportunity to help others, there is a moral obligation to do so. <laughs> so they made him just talk like no human being would talk. It's like the the transmorphers to the transformers yeah. version of that. Yeah, it was. It made me angry that they wasted like a, a talented filmmaking crew and cast on a movie that was did not need to be made, and the villain was extremely excruciatingly boring. The uh, lizard. Yeah. It, oh. He's just a lizard who just runs around. He's in the sewer. Was Jamie Foxx in the, the second, second one? Yeah, the second one. one. That's uh, awful. I haven't seen either. So, so as bad as the first one is, the second one is garbage. So, yeah. So your predictions after the upcoming Spider-Man: Homecoming, another reboot of Spider-Man. How long before you think they re 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 reboot Spider-Man? <laughs> I'm actually excited for Homecoming. I'm too. I hear the, I'm, I'm excited about it too, but I'm also the, excited. they're not going to make it an origin story. <laughs> It's just going to start... Because it's already established in, in Civil War. Right. Yeah. It's going to start That's with fine. him in high school, and he's already going to have powers. I would, I would, I would right now stake a, a gentleman's dollar bet that they have a flashback to his origin during that movie. Uh, ooh. ooh. No, no, I bet not to the origin. I bet they flash back to Uncle Ben's death. Or, see, I think they even go back to him getting bit. I don't... Uh, because for some reason, with, with the Spider-Man franchise... Traumatic. That's what's so with, dumb about it. With the Spider-Man franchise, they have caught in their head that like maybe someone who doesn't know Spider-Man is going to watch this for the first time they'll ever be exposed to Spider-Man. <laughs> so we need to retell it all. And then the second movie is always garbage. Um, so I really think I'd, I'd, I'd stake a dollar on that they flash back to the bite. That would oh. be so dumb. Takers? Taker. Yeah, I'm saying, I'm saying no. Official no. podcast bet. <laughs> uh, and then I haven't really been playing... Well, actually, I take that back. I started playing the NES game Clue Clue Land. And, uh, <laughs> and I read your... Clue Clue I'm, getting, I'm, getting a, I'm getting slightly better at it. Uh, the recommended playing time is four and a half hours. It's going to take me at least ten times that much to do anything <laughs> in this game. It's it's not fun. So uh. <laughs> I, heard, I heard you were playing it, so I looked up a YouTube video because I hadn't really heard of the game before. And I watched like a minute of it, and I still have no idea how it works. <laughs> I have a slightly better idea than you of how it works, but only slightly, and that's from playing it for an hour. <laughs> it was uh, it's like Pac-Man, except you're trying to find you're trying to pass between these two points in the grid uh, at different points in the grid to like uncover uh, coins, and the coins will eventually make a design, and you have to uncover all the all the sections of the design. You have to, pay you have to pass through all these openings. I just had a revelation moment because you, you can't tell but David and I shared confused looks about what you were talking about. I'm uh, also confused about what I'm talking about having played it. Have you, heard of, have you heard seen of, a video of it. Have you heard of Picross or Picross 3D, the games on 3DS? It's kind of what it sounds like where you have to like you take a cube and then based on like like very sparse clues you have to say like where you chisel out to make that cube into like a design, like a lantern. It's similar to that. Okay. It's it's uh, and you're chased by these two entities that are ghosts, and you can only change direction by 
using your claws. I think you're some sort of crab in the game. <laughs> I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Uh, you have to use your claws to grab hold of the, the little posts that make up the grid yeah. and swing around and let go at the right time to hurl yourself in a new direction. Mechanics uh, of it were driving me insane. <laughs> it was, it was nice. difficult. Are you sure you didn't just dream this game? <laughs> <laughs> no, sadly it's real. Uh, anyway, that's 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 what I've been doing. How does it rank so far with 10-yard fight and baseball? I like 10-yard fight a whole lot more. I think I like Clue Clue Land better than baseball. <laughs> baseball is <Ooh>. awful. <laughs> Less. That's, that's got to hurt your heart a little bit. There's such a bad baseball game. Uh, there'll be more. <laughs> Anyway, that's it. Alright, so now for our main topic, we're talking about rewatchable movies, replayable video games. Uh, I don't know if anyone has anything for re-listenable music. But kind of going back to something and, and experiencing it all over again. Um, in the landscape of uh, Netflix and cable TV and everything, it's been really easy to, to do that. And thinking about, what was our inspiration here? Is it, uh, well, with me, it was, it was just being furious that Brent is still playing Skyrim. That's <laughs> right. I thought it was also interesting because uh, before you guys got to my apartment last week for the podcast, David was telling me that he never rewatches movies. That's right. I have a a stance that there are so many movies that come out and movies going back to the beginning of history that I want to have seen and experience. It feels like a waste to me to rewatch a movie. I, I agree with you around Oscar time, especially because we do this this terrible things to our brains where we try and let other people tell us what good movies are and mm-hmm. just eat those movies up, gobble them up like media galactuses. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I agree with you around Oscar time in particular, but otherwise, if there's something on TV that it's just like pure, like there are movies that are made that are just rewatch bait. We, we I think everybody has their rewatch or reread that's you know at the top of their list that they just will. And yeah, you know, and you have some too. I feel like your point is like so solid on paper. <clears throat> and then, like you brought up music though, like why is one form of media acceptable to be digested over and over and over again, and one doesn't deserve? It? It's like there's music you haven't listened to. Yeah, I tried to think about that because uh, to be a hypocrite, I also there's so many TV shows that I go back and watch. There are video games I go back and play because I enjoy them and they make me feel good. I think yeah. with movies, I just kind of separate them. They seem like discrete experiences, like finite things to me, yeah. versus a video game and a TV show is kind of continuous. It's like a uh, TV show or, or whatnot episodes are like a song in an album versus, uh, I don't know, movies like <laughs> opera, <laughs> whatever's longer than an album that's a continuous thing. That, uh, you know, I got to get kind of heady to think about what the difference is for me, you know, try yeah. to think back about it. There may not be a great reason. But, uh, and, and, and it's um, I don't know. It's it's interesting. The feel good thing is a huge point. Like mm-hmm. I'm never gonna rewatch like Eyes Wide Shut or Requiem for a Dream, right? Or any horror movie. That, that's not true. Some like campy horror movies are great rewatches. But like I love watching Halloween on Halloween every year. Yeah, I watch It's a Wonderful Life every year on Christmas. Yeah, Eve. I love it. I look forward to it. Yeah, I really don't do that. Even though I do, um, I clearly rewatch movies. I'm the one of the four of us in our recaps that have. Probably include the most rewatches, but yeah. for me, it's uh, it comes down to have I lost the feeling of having watched that movie because if the feeling of having seen a movie the way I felt watching it sticks with me, I don't need to rewatch it. And there aren't movies, there are no movies that I put on once a year for anything. I, I don't think there's a movie that I, 
I will take that. I enjoy watching Star Wars probably mm-hmm. uh, once every 18 months. Especially so. now times. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I like watching all the Star Wars movies. In I, like, I like how you frame yeah. that, though. It's when you forget the feeling of it rather than forgetting what happened. Yeah. You know, because movies are so much about delivering you tone and atmosphere. Once mm-hmm. you kind of, like, lose touch with that, I guess you could experience it again. And I also like, uh, if I saw a movie when it first came out, I like to watch it again now to see how it aged. Because I yeah, like sure. in that different frame of mind. Like, uh, we were talking before the podcast about 300. Yeah. And how... When that came out, it was just a, it was, you know, amazing. It was just so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody loved it. And now, how, I don't know how it would feel watching that movie now. I watched The Dark Knight recently. You know, I was thinking in 2008, I thought this was the greatest superhero movie ever made. And I wondered after almost a full decade of making good superhero movies, would it still stand up? And it did. And that was refreshing to me. And it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was cool. I like I like the idea that like that the movies that are ripe for rewatching are like emotional experiences or just kind of like not not that we are like proper movie critics but like checking your critical taste mm-hmm. and not not that that's why you watch Star Wars an ungodly amount. Uh, I also want to want to ask the question: Do you guys think that when so like we're doing this stupid media blitz right now and watching like a ton of. Oscar movies. Sure. And circumstances as they are, you know, we don't watch one of them with our partner, but we really like that movie. Do you count a rewatch as taking your significant other and sitting down and being like, I watched this movie, it's fantastic, you need to see it? No. Yeah, to me that's almost, it's like a, almost a presentation. Right. Like a, trying to share it. It doesn't seem like a rewatch. And like I mean, an actual example, because I did not include that in the things I've watched. Uh, I rewatched Arrival last night. Yeah. Uh, with my fiance. Nice. Yeah. So it was for that same reason. Anyway, it was I love this movie. I, said, I loved it. I wanted you to watch it. Let's watch it together. And when you do that, it's nice because it's like I can go take the dog out. Don't stop the movie. I can go make dinner. Yeah, like I can be doing stuff. I don't count that as a rewatch. Yeah, and and, and during those, I always have this weird feeling that like she notices me watching her face oh, when, I'm, yeah. I'm totally when she's watching that. scenes that I me really too. like. And I, I hate being that guy. Now that we've ta- counted these as not rewatches, I don't know why I'm still bringing it up. But, you know, watching a movie with, like, a group of friends and being like, I love this scene coming up. Because then it's like, well, you kind of kind of took a little bit of the sting out of <laughs> yeah, the scene yeah. coming up now. Yeah. But sometimes I can't help myself. Maybe I got burnt out on rewatching movies from college. Because in college, we rewatched movies all the time on our stupid little campus movie channel we would have. Yep. We would watch the movie Super Troopers so many times with my group of friends. I liked it at first as fun, dumb movie, and by the end of college, I hated that movie. Napoleon Dynamite for me. Because yeah. we eventually would see it with a group of people, and there would be people saying it, I, all the lines a half second beforehand, yeah. that I just, you know, rage quit watching yeah. it. You had the one friend who would quote Beer Fest and Super Troopers ad infinitum, and just like, his only dialogue, anytime he had like... Had a single drop of alcohol were quotes from Beer Fest or Super Troopers. Yeah, like start a quote and like look expectantly on you to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just fun just to like, all right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, do listeners, do your friends a favor. Don't quote the same movie all the time. Yeah. It drives, it will kill the movie. And also, if you have a friend that's doing it, tell them they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> just grab them. We like, would tell two them. fists like, on the shirt collar and yeah. shake them. Because I've heard I'm in a glass case of emotion so many times since Anchorman came out that oh. <laughs> yeah. Anchorman is not rewatchable for me. Although, there, I've, I've heard a couple original Austin Powers quotes recently 
And man, did it kill now. <laughs> like, a movie that was overquoted when it came out, but like, no, this is me in a nutshell. Like, that. Just like, tickle my funny bone. It's got enough vintage on it. I think like, the, the key to like, uh, movie quotes is it's gotta be, it's gotta be germane to what you're talking about. It's gotta be relevant. Um, the thing I'm talking about is just absolute non-sequitur conversation starters can't be a random movie quote. <laughs> just walk up to a woman in a bar like littering and like you deserve to just get hit. <laughs> yeah. But so you made me uh, reflect on a very dark time in my life. <laughs> and you'll know what I'm talking about in a second. Uh, when friend of the site, Adam, and I lived together freshman year of college, we also had our... Uh, a HBO movie channel thing, but also like the UGA movie channel. Yeah. Um, and for some reason, the movies that were on, we watched a lot, were Halle Berry Catwoman. Nice. I've yep. seen that about a half dozen times. <laughs> <laughs> the live action Fat Albert movie. <laughs> I watched that about six months ago. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I've seen Norbit an obscene Ugh. amount of times. Just putting in work. <laughs> I don't know if it was just like a like just like a bad stretch of depression or what. But from like Hollywood film producers, trying to figure out what their theme was. Just actors in suits, <laughs> special suits, actors in special suits. This is the sick channel. <laughs> but yeah, I know there's more. Man, I wish I could have. I probably have like a, a, all that time. I wish I, I probably have like a collective 200 hours of garbage movies from that year that I want back. My worst rewatching story is when we moved in to a house from an apartment uh, five years ago or so. We didn't have cable for like two weeks trying to get it set up, and we had the little TV with a built-in VCR, mm-hmm. and we watched Jurassic Park, followed by Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, followed by Jurassic Park, followed by Elvira, <laughs> for like two weeks. It got to the point where I could just like recite the entire dialogue to both movies. <laughs> They were rare for the Elvira Mistress of the Dark. <laughs> Don't have as many clever girls about that. <laughs> yeah. Cassandra loved that. My girlfriend loved Elvira Mistress of the Dark. Just weird. I guess because that lady's name is Cassandra or something. <laughs> you have to give her more credit than that. No. <laughs> Dang. I like everything that has people in it named Chris. <laughs> what about uh, rewatchable TV? I feel like now with Netflix, Amazon Prime... I find myself going back and, like, recently we're watching Arrested Development over again for probably the fourth time. I've rewatched The Office all the way through, and I'm in the middle of rewatching How I Met Your Mother all the way through, and I've enjoyed both of them a lot on the rewatch. I'm more on the same page. What David was saying about movies, I'm more like that with TV, but I still do occasionally rewatch things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm rewatching Friends just as a uh, fall asleep or show. Oh. I like Friends. Friends is great. I like Friends. We we went through it. There's something satisfying. Like we recently tackled Cheers. It's like 11 seasons of this TV show. We got through every episode. Nice. It's like we only have 250 episodes left. We'll never finish it. I feel like these undertakings though, and then especially rewatching them, like when you like when that like final credit scene hits on the last episode of Cheers. Like you just want someone to like burst through the door and like pin a fucking medal to your chest. <laughs> no, it's, like it's, like you did it. You went through twenty seasons of Friends. Like congratulations. There's now a, talk about your favorite one part of this like a million hour TV show. I think there's a completion aspect to it. Like Cheers, I would 
spot here and there on Nick at Night, but I'd never really watched a season of it. Yeah. I was kind of too young for that. You know, I'm not doing it to be a hero. I am a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, but at, at the end of, like, Cheers or something, it is, is, like, profoundly sad that something's out of my life now. Yeah. Because it's, a lot of these TV shows I'll watch just before I go to bed as something pleasant to think mm-hmm. about before going to bed, especially 30-minute comedies, yeah. like, running through those, like, Friends, like, How I Met Your Mother, we did that. The TV show thing, too, that, like, you're invested in those characters. It's almost like when a book series is over. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, I guess I guess Cheers is also, like, a great genesis, because you can go from Cheers into Frasier. you like, oh. Yeah, we, we haven't committed to it yet. I don't know about that. Apparently, I, I haven't seen a lot of Frasier or a lot of Cheers, but I guess there's, like, something in the first episode of Frasier where he just, like, with, like, a nod and a wink, just dismisses his, his character's personality on Cheers altogether. Mm. <laughs> just, like, it's just gone in a flash. I don't think I've ever seen uh, Frasier origin story. <laughs> Don and Frasier. Well, give it to the Spider-Man guys yeah, and you'll yeah. see it Frasier times. Man, Frasier Man. <laughs> it's with, with, great, with great baldness comes great verbose. And this, this. Miss, miss, Salad miss. and scrambled eggs. Is <laughs> that too? Um, I find it a little incongruous that you're so willing to rewatch TV serieses and not movies. Is oh, I, I fully admit that there's a okay. hypocrisy there's... to it, and I'm really trying to figure out why it's different for me. Yeah, but I think it's just the reason I watch a movie versus the reason I watch a TV show can be fundamentally different. Yeah. Like, TV show, like TJ is saying, is an investment in these characters that are going to, you know, change over time versus a, a movie, I'm going to watch a thing. If I've watched that thing before, there are other things out there. There's, you know, a hundred years of history of stuff that people say, movies that'll change your life, movies that are interesting, movies that are interesting because they're bad. And it just scratches a different itch for me, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. I just, I feel like that your, your opening argument um, with Netflix and Amazon rewatchability becomes easier to me is why I don't really ever rewatch TV shows unless I'm, you know, sitting my girlfriend down. Like, I really want you to watch Battlestar Galactica and I'll sit through it with you because mm-hmm. it's just a great show. Um, but other than that, because I don't think I ever would have watched The OA, a show that TJ and I both watched, which is just like strange and flawed and just fun. And Brent watched it too. And Brent watched yeah. it too um, without, you know, having, you know, this. Like overabundance of options. Yeah, I was going to say that too. In uh, in the counterbalance to your point of, it makes it easier to rewatch. It also makes it harder for me to rewatch because I'll see stuff I need to see more. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it feels like Amazon and Netflix are a digital dartboard where you can just like right. flip the like, what's Netflix going to like throw at me today? I wouldn't watch Lemony Snicket if, if it didn't just like keep popping up right. and going like, watch Lemony Snicket, watch Lemony Snicket. Then I was I had like some downtime. I was like, I'm going to watch Lemony Snicket. Right. I think there's also an element of like, you got the paradox of choice of Netflix paralysis or something. There's so much stuff you could commit, like especially multi-season show that you could commit like, I don't know, 50 hours to potentially. Yeah. That something that is proven... And it's something that maybe you play when you're cooking dinner or about to go to bed. Right. That is limited investment. You know it delivers that you watch. I, I fully, you know, understand that there's some contradiction in my categorization between those two things, but I don't know. I don't know. The, when the movies that I choose to rewatch are so specific in what they are. Like, I've, I've probably watched Harry Potter series four times. That's okay. I'm glad you mentioned Harry Potter because my fiance Ashley really wanted me to mention that she specifically <laughs> liked rewatching the Harry Potter series. So we just did that like a month ago. It was around Christmas time. It was so good. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to just be like, all right, then moving on. Yeah. yeah. That's, 
Does she want a medal or something? She, she, knew, she knew the topic for the day, and she said, see if you can work that in. <laughs> I think I've, I, I really enjoyed into it. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed them. I think I saw it more than half in the theater, but I've never gone back and watched any of them again. Do you want... Uh, I, we can take those eight movies, and I can break them up into 30-minute chunks. <laughs> Will that work better? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You know, for TV, I, I, I kind of have the same approach with TV rewatching as I do movies, which is, have I forgotten the feeling of, of the show? Like, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I know a show I'm going to rewatch at some point is Lost. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of close Clear. enough to Lost where I don't need to... Still kind of angry at it? No, nah, I liked okay. it. There were Lost episodes here and there, which were complete wastes of time, but <laughs> Jack's tattoos. But, oh yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. And, you know, The West Wing If if is a show that if, if you haven't seen it in, in recent years, I have. I watched it for the first time all the way through about a year ago. That's a show that a lot of people could probably use in their lives right now, you know, even as a rewatch. Mm-hmm. It's... I've watched it twice in four years all the way through. Bartlett 2020. Bartlett. I still need to see that. So good. While I'm rewatching Arrested Development. <laughs> I will say, West Wing gives you a very uh, unrealistic sense of hope. <laughs> we'll say that. It, has Netflix classified as a science fiction yet? <laughs> God. There are um, some movies, too, that I think lost their rewatchability as I grew up in age. I have a watched Pulp Fiction in six years and I probably watched it 20 times in my early 20s oh yeah I, I think I did I, like you know being an edgy teenager I watched Fight Club till you know I probably mm-hmm. scratched a ring around the disc and when we first went to college we didn't have cable it was uh, what's the like college meme movie oh my god Scarface no uh, Boondock Saints <laughs> Boondock oh, Saints oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that everybody was like you know if I think that's actually like one of the college guy memes or it's like Gonna be a film major. Favorite movie, Boondock Saints. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I, like, I didn't think it was bad, but I just never, I never yeah, got into yeah. that movie. Yeah, it was like a B minus. It, it was definitely shown to me by someone who was like, "You gotta watch Boondock yeah. Saints." It's, it's kind of like, like, like superficially cool, yeah. but I don't know any reason I would go and see it again, except for Willem Dafoe just chewing up the scenery. It's weird because other movies were shown that way. I don't know. I guess I did a lot of the presenting, but like Reservoir Dogs is probably shown to millions of people that way. But I feel like that movie aged. That movie's actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe, you know, it's been, you know, stolen from so much at this point, it reduces the rewatchability. Like yeah. Pulp Fiction, yeah, you got the wave of pretenders after that, you know, broken up narratives that kind of dull the rewatchability of it. Right. You Especially mean, movies that are, like, innovative. You mentioned Scarface, and I always wondered how many people with Scarface posters on their dorm walls actually watch that movie because it's pretty boring. It's pretty boring. It's so long. And, Three hours. And there is a about an hour of that, which is a plot about him trying to have sex with a relative. <laughs> like, you know, I think the college Godfather posters are probably the same way. That's, yeah. I bet it's a higher percentage there. I yeah. would say Scarf. I wonder if what's the movie equivalent of the, the book always is uh, Atlas Shrugged. People who talk about a book uh, the, that haven't one read is, it is Ulysses. <laughs> oh yeah, Ulysses is the other one. People who. Uh, uh, people in the street always coming up to us. That's, that's <laughs> true. I don't think yeah. Ulysses gets as much like, like. I think I think that's a good example. Chatter. Atlas Shrugged right. is something that people will that you definitely hear people talk about. Or nineteen eighty four when they try and stuff in your face. And I've started. I've started that. Idiot. I've started that book. It's horrible. It's Atlas it's Shrugged. incredibly boring and like a billion pages long. Atlas Shrugged. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Wikipedia book. Like, did, did you get to the part with the, the Atlas no. Shrugged? <laughs> I could have stopped you after did you get to the part because the answer is no 
Uh, but anyway. It'd be great if there was a quotation like, who is John Galt? Comma, Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> That's outstanding. <laughs> Book's way better when you write it. Uh, but anyway, what's the, what's the movie equivalent of that? What's the movie that people talk about without having Citizen seen? Citizen Kane, probably. That would be my yeah, opening salvo. Yeah. 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 It took me a while to see Citizen Kane. Rosebud, right? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it, I got it. Yeah, right. It's totally like that. Yeah. I would put Scarface up there on that list as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Everybody just wants to do the say hello to my little friend thing. Yeah. Is Godfather by this way at all about the only one who thinks this? Oh, I think a lot yeah, of people yeah. have seen Godfather. I think, and I think, I'm sure it's it's a, it's up there. I think a lot of people like have felt like they've seen it because they absorbed it like their father's favorite movie or grandfather's favorite mm-hmm. movie and know all the quotes, know what it's about, but probably haven't seen it. It's, it's one of, it's like my embarrassing, not really because I don't give a shit, but <laughs> movie thing is that I've watched Godfather for the first time. How long ago was that? Like a year and a half. And I still haven't seen Godfather 2. It was amazing. <laughs> it was really good. Just have to be in the right mood to sit down for three and a half hours and watch like, it's not boring. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a slow build, right? Yeah. It's a commitment. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say, just on a side note, I remember watching it. I think the first thing I told Brent was like, James Conn was ridiculously good in that movie. He is. Really good. Con. <laughs> and, then, and then just since we're, you know, kind of running a little long, just briefly about video games. Yeah. You know, David, this is also, and Brent, we don't need to hear how many times you want to replay Skyrim. <laughs> Technically, I've never finished it the first time. There's no way to finish that game. Does anyone? <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's no end to Bethesda well, I never, games. I never played through most, I only probably played about 20, 30% yeah. of it. I've never finished time. Solitaire, going for the two million wins. <laughs> um, but... There are definitely games that I replay, but more, and I think it's also like, I've forgotten this game and how it made me feel. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll run back to like Final Fantasy VI every like two or three years. Absolutely. Chrono Trigger. Yeah. For us RPGs, especially yeah. childhood RPGs to go back to, mm-hmm. you know, there's a specific, you know, little itch that scratches that. Plus so is it, is it taking, does it lose anything, especially in RPGs? Um, when one, when you kind of know what I feel like you can you can see the like I don't know see the strings a little bit a little more when you're older like oh they're making me do this quest because they got to do blah 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 yeah. or they're gonna showcase something I think I still go back there back to that feeling yeah and it's also these are also like not with like Final Fantasy six or four but like if you wanted to replay Final Fantasy seven. You're looking at like a good like fifty to sixty hour chunk. Mm-hmm. So you're like dropping whatever game you're playing probably to replay it. So it's not that you lose the story being told. It's more just like you just want to play through these parts again. You know, get that nostalgic feel it's, again. It's, for those who don't know, I'm like the least gamer gamer out of the four of us uh, by far. And have we have we played one? Mink and Sonder played. Uh, Mario Wii when it came out mm-hmm. it was a super fun game that's a great game mm-hmm. we beat it and then we like just started a new one and played it again because yeah. that makes sense in my head because it's just like it's fun it's a two player game yeah. interacting with somebody and it's like blah 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 but I feel like playing like a dramatic RPG or some kind of like real world game is really odd to me that people would enjoy doing that because I feel like it's stressful I feel oh, like I, it would be stressful for me it's I think those games I think a game like Elder Scrolls or Bethesda or some game where you there's an element of choose your own adventure to it. Right. Is more replayable yes. than movies are rewatchable because you can play it completely differently. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Like and, Elder Scrolls, yep. for example, I, 
I hate to keep bringing up the, no. this game, but, uh, you know, you can play, there are, uh, most people who play the games play them different ways. Like, some will just decide to be a mage and use magic, mostly. You could be a an archer, that's what I do, mostly. Mm-hmm. And, or you could be a, like, up-close sword fighter, and it kind of changes, I don't know, the experience of playing. I'm you sure also re-roll, like, your actions, like, D&D style, like you're going to be chaotic... Yeah. Good, or you're going to be evil now. Yeah. Take a different path. Yeah. I can't help in those games, but be good though. Me too. <laughs> it just I, I feels always, bad to I'm be good. bad. Yeah. It's. I think. I, I think I started out a run in Mass Effect, which is a Bioware RPG, much like Bethesda. Like a, ro- a run in Mass Effect, you start that first game out with like, if you want to, three and a half hours of just straight politicking with alien races, and I just like was like going on the bad route with all of them, just seeing like how much I could like ruin this universe. And then as I kept playing, I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like this is, I'm creating a terrible world that I'm still gonna have to play in. And yeah. I don't want to do that. You know, when when you play Bioshock, <coughs> Bioshock's a great example of a game that's there's the constant tug and the. Mm-hmm. Of of good versus bad decisions because uh, but that's, you, you want to yeah. do so I just kept doing the good thing every time but it's such a false like choice though it's like do I want to save these things called little sisters and help them back into their hidey holes or do I want to harvest their juice and become more Ugh. powerful yeah but yeah like that game and like Mass Effect and all those games it's so binary that the choice is not even that interesting yeah and like that, the old like Knights of the like, Old Republic it's so extreme game, it's like in Knights of the Old Republic it was like your dialogue options were like help hide this refugee or like murder the refugee and turn in their dead body to the slavers and it's like whoa <laughs> like, see I do think it's interesting in Bioshock because there is a you you do worry when you're saving them. You do worry that you won't be able to finish the game because you're right. not strong enough to. Yeah, it's and and that game has helped because it gives you just the right amount to like clip through difficult sections by yeah. saving all the little sisters. And obviously, there's like a postscript to the game if you right. save all of them. Yeah, I guess if the story changes drastically like that, that makes more sense. Well, it, it doesn't until the last like about like there's like a half hour extra that you play. Yeah. Well, and I mean by drastically, I just mean that all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so with replaying games, and you brought up Skyrim, and you're right that with those you can, um, you know, change your play. But so people have taken to these like traditional RPGs, which have set stories right. um, and make their own rules for them. So True. there's a thing that is popular in Pokemon games, like the original or whatever, where they call them Nuzlocke runs. They impose these strict... Well, I mean, it changes the play. And That's makes, also old Twitter handle. <laughs> Nuzlocke rules. Yeah. Also, constant tug. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, in that, like, instead of just, like, catching all the Pokemon you want, like, leveling up as much as you want, like, battling with, with whoever, you can only catch one Pokemon per, like, area where it's, like, they are catchable. Mm-hmm. And if they die, they're, they're, they're gone. Like you can't revive them. Sorry, if they faint in battle, since nothing dies in that child's game, and you can't resurrect them, <laughs> and and you have to play through it that way instead of just like, oh, I'm going to catch everything. I'm going to catch like seven Pidgeys and like have them all in my computer because yeah. you store them in your computer somehow. Because um, <laughs> Pokemon are just data. Um, but yeah, so there's re- replayability through that. So it's I know a way to reinterpret. You know, playing through again. Yeah, it's kind of coming up with your own new. Setting like low level runs, you see the same things. Quick runs are a version of that. Yeah, I was gonna say, I played, I played Mario 3 uh, over 100 times, I'm sure. 
trying to beat the game in under 30 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, TJ is talking about stressful games and how you might not want to revisit that. But at the same time, if it's good enough, I might want to go back. And, and like, I, I've thought about replaying The Last of Us, which is the most stressful game. Again, the, maybe the, that pops completed. up my, like, obsession with trying to collect all this and do, like, a set of rewatchable rules. And, like, why would I watch, uh, I don't know, like... I don't want to watch A Beautiful Mind again. It's a gut-wrenching movie. That's really good. Mm. But it did the job. It conveyed what it wanted to convey. It was an incredible movie. I never for, want to see it again. For like stressful video games, there's such a catharsis to it. that It's not just you know a devastating movie that's beautiful, but there's a personal catharsis being involved in something stressful and achieving something. And the achievement is direct when you're playing something. That's true. It's, but, it's passive when you're viewing it. But, like, goddamn, yeah. I'm never playing Amnesia again. Like, I'm never playing it again. Oh, I, I never played it. I never want to watch anybody play it again. Yeah, and, like, like people say that the Resident Evil 7 in VR is, like, terrifying. I'm never going to do that. Because <laughs> that sounds, like, terrible. Truly on, terrifying. On, one, on that note, kind of a weird semi-replaying thing Thing that I do is I love, personally love the Silent Hill games. Yeah. They're really god-awful to play, if yeah. I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah. Like the controls are awful. But I play through pretty much all those games... And I guess a form of replayability is I like to go back and watch a playthrough online. It's kind of a way to re-experience it without directly experiencing the frustration and stress of making the decisions. Then you get then you get the the delicious, terrible voice acting. (laughs) It's just so bad. Watching my brother play Silent Hill Two was maybe the scariest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, Silent Hill Two was an incredible horror game. It's also one that like very subtly changes Mm -hmm. um, in like is Pyramid Head in this room. Which like doesn't work for Resident Evil 3, Nemesis, where it's like, is Nemesis in this room? Like, I don't care. Like, if he's in this room, like... Yeah, does Silent Hill have, like, rooms that would change? Uh, well, it, it had a recurring bad guy who you couldn't kill, where if you're... Like, there's a, a safe haven to survival horror games. Is if you backtrack, enemies are dead, or you can avoid them. But in Silent Hill 2, if you backtrack, you could potentially have this unkillable guy who slowly stalks you. Yeah, and he may be blocking an entrance, and you gotta <laughs> figure it out. Yeah, um, and he's often ranked in a lot of. I'm obsessed with the list. I yeah, mean, we all are, but he's often ranked as like one of the best video game villains. Yeah, there there's a dungeon in Silent Hill uh, too. It's very like a psychological game where you know you have a map, and when I'm playing that game, I'm pulling up the map every couple seconds. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a tether to something real where something's not going to pop out. <laughs> and to kind of slow the action. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, There's a dungeon where there's pyramid head in it where the map is now replaced with the kids drawing in crayon. And it it like changes and only gives you pieces of it. And there are things like it's little, making me stressed out like talking about smiley it. sunshine and like it's in a pit that has hanging bodies in it. <laughs> uh. So that's better to watch again rather than Personally, experience. Silent Hill 2, the one that had the room with like babies crawling on the ceiling or hanging from the ceiling, maybe? Uh, pretty much all of them do. I was going to say, okay, <laughs> that sounds like a lot of games. <laughs> You're talking about that classic Silent Hill trip. But I guess that's a, a form of replaying that I do, is kind of re experiencing yeah. it in a passive sense rather than an active mm-hmm. sense. And you, you guys do anything like that? Like, you can also go to YouTube and find playthroughs, and so you can watch somebody else play it. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's what yeah. I'm talking about. Oh, that's what you, you do that. I, okay. have a, I have a really rough time with that, though, because like, I want to find somebody who's going to play through the game and not be like like a bombastic idiot about like, oh my god, look at this stuff happening. Oh, with no commentary? But I also don't want there to be no commentary. So oh. it's this hard like, mystery. This is the guy we've watched. He's really funny. Playing horror games. 
I really like Day Nine. That's right, uh, Sean Plot. He's, yeah. His his run through Amnesia is uh, hilarious. Yeah, and he's also I think he strikes that balance well. I, I recommend anybody coming from a, a non video game person at all go watch some run throughs of Amnesia. It looks really tough to play, but I know Chris and Adam one night were showing me videos of it. Yeah, and it was really fun to watch and really scary. Yeah, and that's another one of those games where there's just like there are you know you don't have weapons. There's just unkillable monsters. There's two monsters, right? Yeah, there's two monsters. There's one that you can see and there's one that you can't see, but the monster is in shallow walking around in shallow water in the sewers. You can't you can only hear his footsteps. But he can hear yours, so you have to either jump from box to box or just sprint through the water. This is a relatively recent game. I think it was like 2009, 2010. Five, six years ago. Yeah. It was um, they, they really were... interesting plot point, sorry, David, where uh, like you can go hide in a closet and he'll never find you, but you can't have your, like, you have a flashlight, right? A, a candle. A candle. Lantern, yeah. You can't have the flash, the candle on or he'll see you, but if you have it in the dark too long, you'll go crazy. It's like, cognitive characters to watch. Yeah. Safe in the closet. Well, yeah. quest, that game was innovative. There's been a bunch of games since then that yeah. use that. That yeah. you have no weapons and you're kind of passive going through stuff. Yeah, I think there was one set in space called like Soma. Those yeah, kind of similar. To it was that. the same same people I think yeah. made Soma that made Amnesia mm-hmm. uh, and Amnesia Two. A good um, a machine good, for pigs. A good fun game, game that got sequel <laughs> got kind of boring after I got over the initial like fear of it, the jump fear part. But uh, I got really good at it after playing it for a while. It was a uh, Five Nights at Freddy's series. Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh there's like there's one of those games where there is a pattern that's like the most efficient way to play the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And once you started doing that you could like try to but beating it on the hardest level was yeah. by chance anyway. Just like clue clue land. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's probably a pattern. And and I think the, the the new hotness with that style game is a game that just it just came out of early access, but it's uh Emily wants to play and it's as a doll. And it's it's there's you know, you're a pizza guy who shows up at a house, and there are five hours, and you have to go through the five hours, and each one they introduce a new, like, doll toy that used to belong to this dead little girl, Emily. And, like, the first one, it looks like a, her name's Kiki. She's, like, a Japanese something doll. I don't know the right term for it. When you hear her giggle, you have to look at her. If you're not looking at her, she will, like, it does, like, the Five Nights at Freddy's, like, jump scare. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't follow the rules. But like, the second one is a clown, and after it's done like chuckling, you have to freeze. And then the third one is a dummy where once you hear it, you have to sp- sprint to a different room. Mm-hmm. And then they start combining these and their appearances and their like calls, which make it difficult because like you have to look at Kiki. But if the clown shows up, you can't turn or he's going to jump you. And if you hear the clown and you hear the dummy, you have to like sprint to the new room and then try and Brilliant freeze. It's, I don't know, it's... <laughs> Leave the room while y'all talk about this. <laughs> really simple mechanics, but yeah. similar to Five Nights, and I've I've watched playthrough of it. Nice. I feel like yeah, it's really interesting what they do with Five Nights and Freddy's and that kind of thing. It could basically be a Windows ninety five yep. game. Yeah, in but it's you know interesting. Got yeah. it done. Yeah, very innovative. So to uh, to kind of tail end this long podcast and the rewatching, um, I've got homework assignments this week. Yay! Cool. Um, and it's a movie that I've seen that I would place really high on my list. Not that I enjoy making lists of best of all time or goat. Famous about you. Hate lists. Hate lists. <laughs> um, so I want to make clear that I'm not talking about the Stephanie Meyer movie. Mm. Um, the Host is the movie that I want everyone to watch. It's a Korean movie. It is fantastic. And I'm not going to say much about it right now because I'm going to talk about it next week after we've all watched it. What's it on? It's on Netflix. Netflix. All right. 
listeners at home. Do you prefer original Korean subtitles or dub? Uh, In Korean with Korean subtitles. (laughs) (laughs) What about English dub Korean subtitles, but you can't look at it? Come up with your own Nuzblock player. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can't watch the movie. Yeah, Korean subtitles, but uh, English dubs, but only with characters from Guy Ritchie movies. <laughs> <laughs> so you have no idea. Don't go right round the rat row. <laughs> what? Uh, I, I, I'm the, not that one British guy. He was pretty good. I'm, I'm not an original language purist. Like I know a lot of people can be. So watch it dubbed. Watch it in the Korean with English I can't subtitles. Take the dubs. They annoy the hell yeah. out of me for some reason. I ended up watching Under the Shadow with the dub eventually. If you're doing it was multitasking yeah. a little yeah. bit. But yeah, I watched The Host. Uh, I really like that movie. Cool. All cool. Right. Homework is the host. And uh, that does it for listening again to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the TheMediaByUs.com. Please contact us and get to know us. You can do our Facebook, Movies By Us, TV By Us, Games By Us. Facebook groups. We have our Twitter at the Media Bias, and our email is the Media Bias at gmail.com. Contact us. Thank you to Chris. <laughs> no, I want to jump in and say <laughs> that uh, eventually we want to, um, you know, we can we can plumb the depths of our brains for topics. But I think eventually we want to start seeing what you guys want us to talk about. Sure, sure. Because we're all absolutely you know, big bags of hot gas and we can bloviate for a long time. If you have a suggestion for a topic, we're all ears. The next couple weeks are going to be pretty structured with the Oscars on the horizon. But anyway, David, you can take your introduction back. Your extraduction. I prefer outro. (laughs) But thanks to TJ talking with us, Brent for hanging out with us, and Chris for making fun of us. (laughs) See you guys guys next time. Bye guys.